All right, why don't you turn to 1 John chapter 5, please? 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 through 5, and the message entitled, um, Overcomers and Conquerors. The uh, first five verses of chapter 5 are a unit, uh, and John is making the transition from the theme of love and to faith, which is the foundation of the uh, Christian life and gives uh, tests of the new birth here. The first three verses are built um, on one another, interwoven uh, and interrelated to each other. Then John takes the new birth of verse 1 and interweaves it into verse 4 for our victories and faith and builds off of it, coming full circle to believing that Jesus is the Son of God in verse 5. They're all interrelated. They're tied together. You cannot exclude them. So John has tied together love for God and the brethren to faith through the new birth, providing three tests of authenticity and genuineness of this new birth in verse 1 through 3. In verse 1, the doctrinal test of faith, obedience to believe Jesus is the Christ by faith. In verse 2, the social test of love, obedience to love the children of God with God's love. In verse 3, the moral test of righteousness, obedience to love God by obeying his word. These are all tied together, the test of faith, the doctrinal, the social test of love, and the moral test of righteousness. And you can't separate them. Now, the two verses that follow, verse 4 and 5 here, are a continuation of the preceding three by way of explanation, giving three reasons why the commandments of God are not burdensome, but instead make a person victorious over the world. Let me read here for us, verse 4 and 5. He says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? The three reasons why the command is not burdensome, but instead make us victorious over the world are as follows. First, in verse 4, the beginning. The believer has had a new birth. This is foundational. The new birth. Second, the believer has rested in the message of the finished work of the cross. The rest of verse 4. And thirdly, the believer depends completely on the person of Jesus Christ. Verse 5. The believer has had a new birth. Comes first. This is the commencement of victory through the spiritual birth. For whatever is born of God, the word for looks back to the commandments of God not being burdensome in verse 3. Without being born again, you can try all that you can, you can do all that you can, and though it may help mankind, it doesn't please God or is not noticed by God. That offends people. Because God has set the way by which you can come to Him. It's through the Son, the new birth. It is the first reason given to explain why it is not difficult or burdensome or irksome to obey God's word. If every time you have to obey God's word, you're saying, oh, doggone it, then maybe you're not born again. 
or maybe you're really backslidden terribly. One of the two. The word um, could be translated because. Notice the person who is not burdened with obeying the commandments of God is the one who is born again. The one having believed the gospel message by Jesus Christ that is in verse 1. The one having confessed their sins to Jesus Christ um, in chapter 1 verse 9. The one having knowledge of the poverty of their spirit, as Jesus said in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 3, that I am bankrupt in terms of deserving or justifying my justification before God. I mean, I deserve nothing. I have nothing to offer him. It's based solely upon Jesus Christ. The one having received the divine nature to escape the corruption of this world, as 2 Peter chapter 1, 3 through 4 says. Apart from that, you can resist and continuously. It's impossible. You know, if you're born again, how you used to live and how you live now. Something has happened. Something messed you up for good. <laughs> you know what I mean? This is the foundation of being part of the family of God. Some of us would not be in the same room if we weren't born again. You certainly wouldn't be here right now. You'd be home sleeping it off. Something has happened. The word whatever is in the neuter. And the Greek scholars say it has a collective implication denoting the entire body of the church born of God. Jew and Gentile one. This is not for the elite few, the chosen frozen. This is not for the Gnostics who were saying they were the ones that knew God and through the special knowledge. They are all who have been called, who have called on the name of Jesus Christ and repented from their sins. This is the commencement of victory. Without the new birth, there can be no victory. Jew and Gentile one. Do you know how... How terrible that was in their days. Youth, we think we have a bad with black and white. Man, Jew and Gentile. The, the Jews believed Gentile were created by God just to kindle the fires of hell. Whoa, Jackson. It was thick. It was bad. And all of a sudden, Jew and Gentile, one in Christ Jesus, loving one another, laying their lives for one another. Wow. The continuous victory is through living daily through this new birth. Listen to the words, overcomes the world. The implication is inherent power, not only to resist, but to win and to carry off in victory. Not just biting the bullet, but being victorious. The word overcome, nikoa, it means to conquer, prevail, appearing three times. In these two verses, verse 4 and 5, it's a derivative from the word Nike, and we'll get it again in a different form. You get the word Nike from the, from the tennis shoes, victory. <laughs> That's the word. The word is in the present tense, ongoing and continuous. Why is it that you can live the way you live now? Because you've been born again. Why is it that you even desire to live? Why is it that you even fight to live this way? Hmm. The word overcomes appears again in these two verses three times. In 1 John two thirteen, he says, I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one, Poneros. Not only is he evil, but he loves making people evil. First uh, John two fourteen, I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the Poneros, wicked one. We used to run after him. We used to follow him. We used to love his plans, his schemes. We used to love his way of life. The young men are those men 
in their vigorous prime of life. The word is used for an attendant or a servant. Primarily, we're looking at men from 20 to 40, 45. That vigor of life. The most destructive element of society is the young single male. The young single male is a conqueror and a destroyer. Thinks of no one but himself. It's marriage that domesticates him. At least he used to. <laughs> then he becomes a protector. You give him a wife. He has children. You watch that man. You be careful. <laughs> you see? The thing that the born-again person overcomes, notice, is the world. The enemy of God. And the believer. The word world, cosmos, is used basically in two ways in John the created universe, the earth, and the people, and the order of human society under the control of Satan's power that has fallen. This is our context here. In fact, in 1 John 5, 19, he says, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Now, when you tell that to people, your friends, your loved ones, your people that are not born again, and maybe you're listening to me right now and you're not born again, you think I'm crazy. But the whole world is under the sway and the influence and the control of the enemy, Satan. Now, Satan is not a guy with red PJs, okay, with a pitchfork. Um, he's the most beautiful angel that uh, rebelled against God. And he uh, threw this whole world into chaos. In fact, um, the word cosmos, uh, ladies, you get your word cosmetic from, him, from it, bringing things out of order into order. That's what cosmetic means, okay? Um, and... Um, um, he just messed things up. God has such a beautiful plan. But then sin came in. You have a beautiful plan. You have uh, these thoughts. But all of a sudden, some comes in and your sin nature rises up and messes everything up, right? We have a potential for good, but our bendis are what? Evil. Me. Trinity of darkness. Me, myself, and I. The word appears three times in the verse... Four and five, I said, in the positive note, the believer overcomes the world. Notice that. The believer is not to be worldly, one with the values, the norms, the ethics, the standards opposed and in rebellion to God's holiness, righteousness, and obedience. But now we don't have to kind of worry about that, do we? Because the world has no morals, no standards. It's given them up after the year 2000. We're an amoral society. We're in the age of relativism. Don't judge nothing. Don't criticize nothing. In fact, if you do, you're a bigot. You're a racist. Wow. You marginalize people. It becomes a totalitarian state. Socialist Marxist. You lose your First and Second Amendment. Freedom of speech and freedom to defend yourself. See, they want you to snitch. State will take care of them for you. <laughs> when I grew up, we just cleaned each other's clock and we were over it. That's it. You learn your first lesson for life. Simple. The word cosmos here appears 22 times in the epistle. It is a major theme in the epistle, opposing everything that stands for God. And so now you're born again. You, you, you line yourself up with the word of God. Your mind is different. John is using this term, overcomes, in a spiritual capacity for spiritual maturity. Those who have walked with God for years and uh, they've uh, been converted and they've grown and matured in the walk. Some of you, we know, for years and the things that you've gone through and how God has brought you such a long ways, we just rejoice in, uh, for you and what God has done and the things that you've uh, trusted God for and the things he's brought you through. You're an encouragement to us. It's an amazing thing. It reminds us of the power of God. 
The factor of age may be included here, but not necessarily. Um, the secret of the strength of the person born again is the Word of God and the Spirit of God abiding in them. It doesn't happen automatically. The Word of God abides in you, First John 2.14 says. So you are giving place to that Word. It's not forcing itself upon you. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because we have, He has given us His Holy Spirit, First John 4.13. So how do I know? Well, anybody can say I know God. That doesn't, that's not impressive. It's not even true. What's impressive and true is when God says, don't do that because you're my child. He's saying, I know you. If there's no conviction, if there's no desire to please God, then we've got a problem. Inwardly. The person born of God is victorious over the world and ever pressing forward by the ongoing influence, nourishment of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, making them strong, productive, ever pressing forward. A man said to D.L. Moody one time, now that I'm converted, must I give up the world? Moody says, no. You need not give up the world. If you give a ringing testimony for the Son of God, the world will give you up quickly. They won't want you. Your friends are not going to want you around. (laughs) Not even your family at times. In fact, they will become your enemies. Jesus said, I didn't come to to bring peace between mother and father and son and daughter. I brought out a sword. Because it divides. Jesus divides, ladies and gentlemen. That's why you're to love Jesus Christ first. If you love mother, father, and brother, brother more than me, you're not worthy of me. You love God first. This way you'll know how to love those who hate you. You, gotta, you can't give what you don't have, right? Hmm. The believer having new capacities is given commandments which he or she can obey. Uh, in, in 1 John 2.15, he says, Do not love the world, the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Pretty strong words. Straightforward. The love of the world and things of the world stand in contrast to God's love. We are clearly understand being in this fallen world. And having lived in the world, the difference is between those things that please God and those things that don't. It's, it's real simple. The constant attraction and love for the world denies um, a love for the Father. It doesn't mean that there's no tension, but it means who's winning out. You see, um, it's a choice you make. Um, no, no woman can take me away from my wife. Not the most beautiful woman in the world. I have to give permission. Get it? No one can take you away. You have to give permission. Because you still have a free will, right? God doesn't force you. I've never seen a bride dragged up to the altar in 45, 43 years. They all walk up on their own. The world is um, comprised of three basic phrases or seers. But all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of the world. In 1 John 2.16, the lust of the flesh is our sin nature that craves the forbidden. We have a potential for good. And now that we're born again, uh, that can be magnified, but we still have sin nature potential for evil. So as people, we're born again and we have this new potential, but we still have a potential for evil. Without being born again, our bent is towards evil. Though we can do some good things. 
And the lust of the flesh doesn't just mean sexual. It's anything. Lust of the eye is a way of enticement through the windows of the soul. So you have to be careful what you see, where you go. What are you doing? The pride of life is the vanity of self, trusting oneself to know and to think that you're in control of everything. You've got it all wired, really. Hmm. That him who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. The world is temporal and fleeting. And we don't really believe that and we don't want to hear that when we're young. But as we get along in life, we start realizing the significance of this. You know, when you're between teens and 45, 50, it seems like nothing has changed. And all of a sudden, decay starts noticing on you. When you look in the mirror, what the heck is that? And you know, what happened here? And interesting, huh? First John two seventeen says, And the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. The word there, passing, indicates the process of decay already started and it continues. Everything, the law of entropy. Men and they pound the first nail on the house, it starts decaying. The minute a baby blurts out its first cry, it begins to die. Yet we celebrate his birth. The world carries within it the seeds of its own destruction. The fashions that are hot today are mocked tomorrow. The value standards of society fade rapidly with the ever-changing culture. People are fickle. They're like the wind, like a weather vane. It just depends which way the wind's blowing, right? You have to stand fast regardless of the wind blowing against you. You stand fast like a lighthouse. You don't bend with the wind. The degeneracy of man's violence and sexuality and self-love is ever shocking, progressing forward, but always downward, never upwards. The evil system of the cosmos is headed towards Christ's coming, which will put an end to all this. The contrast is a great chasm, those who are decaying along with the world and those who are obeying and keeping going forward, pleasing God through the word of God. Never perfect, never sinless. But man, there's a big difference between your life before Christ and after Christ. That's the point. And so the Christian is a desire to see God increase in their life and them to decrease, as John the Baptist said in John 3, 30. So the commandments of God are not burdensome due to the new birth, able to overcome the world. Secondly, notice the believer has rested in the message of the finished work of the cross. This is the foundation of that new birth. Notice the victory over the world is accompanied with one who is born again. Listen to his words. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. The phrase, this victory, is pointing to what follows our faith. And our faith speaks of a person. Not an ideology, not a philosophy, not a religion, but a person, a real person. The word for victory, again, Nike, describes the state of triumph. There's only one time it appears in this form here in the New Testament, but different forms at other times. Now, the initial defeat came by man, as you know, you remember. Um, the first Adam disobeyed um, God. 
and sin entered in by it, uh, and death through sin. Uh, Romans 5.12 tells us the first Adam was expelled from the garden to live under that sin nature, depending on God, just as you and I have to today. The first Adam was looking forward to the last Adam to redeem mankind. The promise was given in Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman. A woman doesn't have the seed. She has the egg. The man provides the seed. That's the first prophecy of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. In fact, uh, um, Matthew quotes uh, Isaiah 7.14, Behold, a virgin shall bear a child, shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us is looking to the promise of Genesis 3.15. Now the victory came by Jesus Christ. Jesus came as the last Adam in human form as a man because God cannot die. He became man. Jesus came to prove that the first Adam did not have to fail but chose to fail. If Adam didn't have the ability to resist, then God was unjust. And if God was unjust and not giving him the ability to resist and he fell because he didn't have the ability to resist, then the punishment is even more wrong and God is more unjust. But we know God is holy. And if God gave him a choice, he gave him the ability to make the right choice, but he chose to make the wrong choice. Ooh. That means I'm responsible for my sin, ladies and gentlemen. Nobody wants to be responsible today. It's everybody's fault. Really. Middle letter of sin is I. Maybe that's why all those Mexicans always say, ay, ay, ay. You know? <laughs> I'm fault. Jesus came to prove that the first Adam didn't have to fail. Jesus, the man, was victorious over Satan as he was tempted in the wilderness in Matthew 4, Luke 4, and the other Gospels. Without sin, obedient to the Father in all things, as he was our representative, Jesus gave up his spirit at the cross as he said it is finished in John 19.30. What was finished? The work of redemption to be justified before God. No one can present anything to be accepted by God. We have to trust in what Jesus did for us. We're justified in him, Romans 5, 1 and 2. The price of atonement had been paid to the Father, not to Satan, as many of the false teachers of the positive confession teach and many teachers in Channel 40. That's blasphemous. That, Satan, that Jesus went down to Hades and paid the price of sin to Satan by suffering? Blasphemous. They're lucky God doesn't smoke them. Blasphemous. And then people go on repeating foolish things like this. The redemption of man was now possible by grace through faith. The Jews as well as the Gentile. What a miracle. Jesus made us children of God. One family. Notice the victory comes to a sinner when they are born again once again. The phrase there has overcome is in the aorist tense, pointing to a definite time in the past. If you're born again, you know a day, a time, a month, a year when God brought you under conviction and you repented of your sins and your life was changed. You know it. You were there. Okay? People can say, I don't believe you, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't make it false. You were there. Describes when the believer places his trust in the work of Jesus Christ. The manner was at the hearing of the gospel message, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. People cannot convict you, people cannot persuade you, people cannot force you to go to heaven. You have all the right to go to hell. It's a choice. 
You will make a decision based on the conviction of God's spirit through his word. You are saved by hearing the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Romans 10, 17. No other way. The instant a person repents and asks forgiveness of their sin, they are victorious over the world and receive eternal life and a new nature. Now notice, the victory over the world is by faith on the atoning work of Jesus, as we've said. Our faith, possessive, the family. This means by which a person enters into the victory of Christ and becomes an overcomer of the world himself uh, in faith. Faith, for it to be biblical, must point you back to the revelation of God's word. People say, well, I have faith, but they believe all kinds of nonsense. They believe in reincarnation. That's not biblical. That's not faith. That's foolishness. Karma. That's what the Beatles were singing about. Let it be, let it be. Don't mess up his karma. Leave him alone. He's going through these cycles. Okay? That's not faith. That's foolishness. If my faith is biblical, it points me back to God's revelation. I agree with God what he says about his son, about my sin, about my forgiveness, and how I get to heaven. And how I don't go to hell. I don't make up my own rules. The word faith means the act of believing, conviction, and assurance of something being true and trustworthy completely. We're saved by grace through faith and not of ourselves. The gift of God, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. This form of the word appears only this time in the letter, but it's associated with the word belief, found ten times in the epistle. And the word faith is synonymous with several other words and phrases. Believer, born again, begotten, children of God, living, loving God, loving the brethren, and so on and so forth. These are all associated words. Faith is supposed to work, not personal works, uh, because they cannot bring victory to the world. There's a lot of People that do a lot of good works in the world. Philanthropists, they give money, they do all kinds of good works, and they benefit the people, they benefit the world, man. But that doesn't merit them heaven. doesn't mean they're going to be in heaven. This offends the non-believer. Tremendously. No self-denial of food, pleasures. No amount of isolation in the cave, like the monasteries. You go out there and you're going to you deny yourself, not live in the world. You go in a cave, but you take your enemy in the cave, you. The evil's in your heart. It's going in the cave with you. In the monastery. You can afflict yourself all you want. As soon as you get past the pain, you'll be lasting again. You cannot do it through natural abilities. Impossible. Nothing can bring the victory over the world and the heart of man but faith and the work and person of Jesus Christ. The person, by placing their faith in the finished work of Christ, has overcome the world's mind and belief. And trust me, the world has a mindset. We are headed towards Armageddon, but we are headed first to a one-world order. And the one-world order, the mind of the world, has already been solidified. It is being implemented and legislated now by this totalitarian philosophy that is being brought into our nation and the world. God help you if you make any judgment against that. You will be marginalized. You will be marked. You will be chastened. You will be dealt with severely like the first century church and the rest of the church has for all the centuries to the press and all around the world. Wow. 
The person, by placing their faith in the finished work of Christ, has overcome the mind's world. The world says man is not a sinner. The world says man does not need forgiveness. The world says man is not created. The world says there is no heaven or hell. The world says Christianity is a mere religion. The world says Jesus is just a man like any other. The believer rejects all of this as nonsense in opposition to God's revelation. So you stand with the world or you stand alone with Christ Jesus. The bottom line. That's radical. That's right. Jesus was very radical. Listen to his words. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father by me. Do you realize in that one statement, Jesus just destroyed every philosophy, every religion, every ism that exists that promises you heaven? How dare he? He's God. He knows everything. He can't learn anything. Wow. The Hall of Faith says, Of whom the world was not worthy. Hebrews 11.38 The world is um, defined by one person as the following way. Quote, Anything that cools my love for Christ is the world. It can be your basketball, guys. It can be, you fill in the blank. Anything that distracts you from Christ. Anything that wants to take you away from Christ. Just like your loyalty to your wife or your husband. There's a difference between faithfulness and loyalty. Faithfulness means you don't do the things that you shouldn't do. Unfaithfulness sexually or stuff like that. Outwardly. Loyalty is inwardly. Okay? That's the difference. God wants you to be loyal. If you're loyal, you'll always be faithful. But if you're faithful, it doesn't mean you're always loyal. Are we clear on this? Hmm. This victory does not mean there is no difficulty, as you know. The believer is born into warfare. The minute you're born again, you're born into warfare. You can handle it. You have God's spirit, God's mind, God's heart, God's word. It says he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Colossians 1.13. What an incredible, incredible privilege we have. John says, do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. 1 John 3.13. They hated Christ first, right? The enemy is spiritual, as you know. Paul tells us, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Ephesians 6.10. I mean 6.11. Right here, there's good angels, bad angels. They're fighting for your attention. They're to disrupt anything they can. Okay? And if God would open our eyes, we would blow our mind. Two worlds are going on at the same time. The physical one we see and the spiritual one we can't see. Once in a while, God has opened the eyes of some of the men of faith to see it. Like uh, over at uh, Dothan where Elijah was there with his, with his servant Gehazi. And he was all freaked out about the Assyrian army beside him. He said, Lord, open this guy's eyes. And he sees all the cherubims, all the chariots of fire. and they're all. He says, those that are with us are more than those with them. Wow. One little angel went out and killed 185,000 frontline troops of the Assyrians in one night. Probably two foot tall. <laughs> wow, bad dudes. 
Paul says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but principalities, powers, dominions of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, the lower atmosphere. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand and withstand that evil day and having done all to stand, Ephesians 6.13. Some of you have had that evil day more than one time and we've seen you fight and we've seen you stand at the end and you're a great encouragement to us as God is taking you through difficult times, maybe in your marriage, maybe with your kids, maybe through an illness or whatever it may be, tragedies that come upon your life. And you are a great encouragement to us. You affirm what the Word of God says when Christ is in a person. It's an amazing thing. The concept of worldliness is a bit deceiving. It doesn't just have to do with worldly pleasures and entertainment, but with one's attitude. It has to do with one's heart. What is in it? Out of it comes the issues of life. So we're to guard it. Proverbs 4.23 says, The heart of man is deceitful, desperately wicked. Jeremiah 17.9. Jesus spoke the same thing in the book of Matthew. Now, some are constantly being overcome by the flesh and its lust. First John 2.16 says, And lust doesn't just limit itself to sexual things. It can be anything. Sex, anger, bitterness, Envy, you keep the list going. Others by the lust of the eye. It's First John 2.16. Covetous, wealth, attention, envy, whatever it may be. Still others, the pride of life, the vainglory of First John 2.16. Unforgiveness, self-centeredness, uncompassion. Keep the list going. These are all traits of the fallen nature. Things that we, 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 we protect for ourselves because we're interested in ourselves more than anybody else. The Christian who has overcome the world is concerned with pleasing God. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beg you, by the mercy of God, you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And don't be fashioned to this world, conform, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, metamorphosis. To prove what is that good except in the perfect will of God. What he's done in you being born again. The nature he's given you. The provisions of the word. The Holy Spirit. All of this brought together. So you are a student of God's word. Because the will of God is found in the word of God. Not in some emotional experience. So we're to study to show ourselves approved. As 2 Timothy 2.15 says. Because we know that God's word is God's word. And it's an error and it's infallible. And it's the only thing that's going to make us godly. Jesus said, if anyone wants to do this will, he shall know concerning my doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. John seven seventeen. So when we speak, we speak because God's word says this. It's, it's the authority of God. The word of God, not our own. So we give out what God has given to us. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you have peace, or we may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. What is it that we don't understand? In the world, you shall have tribulations. We live in a fallen world, ladies and gentlemen. We live in a world that hates good, particularly today. Good is evil. Evil is good. It's amazing how that used to sound so foreign back 30 years ago. Though it still was around a little bit, but not like today. Today it's in your face. 
The commandments of God are not burdensome due to resting in the message of the finished work of the cross that overcomes the world. Notice thirdly, comes verse 5. The believer depends completely on the person of Jesus Christ. The victory and the victorious person over the world is the believer. Who is he who overcomes the world? This is the rhetorical question that has only one answer. Based on all that has been written all the way to this verse, it's the believer. The one who has uh, had not overcome the world were the Gnostics. That's what he's writing First John about. The Gnostics came out of Egypt, Alexandria, Egypt, where they were teaching and that, that the Gnosis, that spark in you, and you existed before, and you got the special knowledge, and you got the Sukhakois, which were the Suki fleshly believers, and the pneumaticoids, the spiritual ones, so you have the chosen frozen, so you get kind of the idea of Calvinism from there. And so you wouldn't believe any of these things that are going on. Some of the manuscripts that are accepted today as the most authentic come out of Alexandria, the Codex Sinaiticus and Vaticanus. They're inferior texts. That's where all the Gnostics were. Gnosis to know. That's who he's writing against. Now, if there's no possibility of them being deceived as believers, why did he write First John? John could have just said, you know what, forget it. They're eternally secure. Nothing can happen. Do you believe that about your kid? About somebody ripping them off or deceiving them? Of course not. Evil exists. They were of the world. They opposed the word of God. They did not trust the works of Christ. The believer was the overcomer of the world. Agreeing with the revelation of God. And trusting themselves to the will of God. And confirming everything by the word of God. If you don't run everything through the Word of God, you're a candidate for deception. If you sit here week after week and you come and you don't write things down and you don't do your homework on me, you're a candidate for deception. You should be thinking through what I'm saying. You should be writing down. You should be putting question marks. And, ah, ah, no, come and talk to me. You need to be persuaded by the Spirit of God, by the Word of God. The person is the one... John is writing to, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit every, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. First John 4, 1. So once again, here's the plumb line that we always talk about. You've got to run through this. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. First John 4, 3. So, the spirit of Antichrist, anybody who denies anything about Christ that the Bible says is true. And the ultimate spirit of Antichrist will be manifested in the person of the Antichrist during the tribulation and great tribulation. Okay? So anybody who rejects that Jesus is God, that he became man, that he died for your sins, that he is the Messiah, that he is the, the second person of the Trinity, is Antichrist. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world, 1 John 4, 4. There were three groups in 1 John. You ready for it? The believer who's standing fast against the Gnostic, the Gnostic who's deceiving, and the believers who are being deceived. Wow. Three groups. They are of the world, therefore they speak as the world, and the world hears them, 1 John 4, 5. 
Are you watering down the gospel? Are you emerging? Are you seeker-friendly? If you're adding to the word of God, then you're of the world. Are you contradicting the word of God? Then you're of the world. You're compromising God's word. You're redefining the church. You're redefining the word of God, the revelation of God. Wow. Pretty harsh things, aren't they? Hmm. The victory is looking to the God-man. But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. No no wiggle room. (laughs) It's like being pregnant. You are or you aren't. All right? That's it. No wiggle room. The word believes means to think to be true, to be persuaded. The word is the same as in verse 1 and 10 times it's used in the epistle. He believes that Jesus is the Christ and loves him and begot him. And so therefore we love those who are begotten of him as first, verse 1 says. The vertical and the horizontal, you can't separate them. You can't separate them. We love one another because of what Christ has done in us. If we were in the world, we would look down on one another and we would look up to somebody. Because you would look to somebody in this room and he man, he's a pretty neat guy. I, I, I'd like to be his friend. Then you look at us and say, man, that guy's a dog. But now you're in Christ and you realize we're all in the sewer and God cleaned us up and put us on the solid rock. And so you realize what a privilege we have to be able to hang out with God and each other. What a difference that is, huh? What can only do that? The gospel of Jesus Christ, nothing else. Nothing else. The person believing in the humanity of Jesus has overcome the world. That he had a real body of flesh and blood. That he was tempted, just as you are and I am, yet without sin. That he hungered, he thirsted, he tired like all men. That he died physically, he died in our place. He died to destroy the power of sin and the devil. That he rose from the dead. And that one day we will have a glorified body just like him. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what I believe. Does it all make Perfect common sense. Do I, can I connect all the dots? Not all of them, but I can connect enough of them. And that's good enough for me. And that's evidence that God is in me, the hope of glory. The person believing in the deity of the Son of God is very important. All these things are important. This is what the Bible teaches. That He was and is eternal. That He was and is God. That He was born of a woman by the Holy Spirit. That he is the savior of the world. That he is the only way to God. That he is coming again to set up his kingdom. And that he's going to bind Satan for a thousand years. And that he will one day judge the entire world who has rejected him. Now, some of your friends, some of your loved ones says, You believe all that? Yes. I didn't always believe that. I didn't always know about all that. But when I heard it in 1973, God changed my mind, my heart. Okay? That's the difference. As I said, everything around this world is fading away. If you're living for the world, you're going to be sorely displeased. They don't even bury you with your shoes on. You got to leave everything you've ever worked for. Isn't it a sad life if this was it? That you work hard all your life, you're trying to get a little bit of realty, a little bit of, uh, of, of, of cars and this and that, whatever, and all of a sudden, just when you want to enjoy it, you croak. <laughs> wow. What a bummer. 
The person having their confidence in Jesus, the Son of God, overcomes the world. Listen to Paul. He says in, in, in Romans 8, 36 through 39, As it is written, for your sake they are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angel, principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice, nothing can separate you. The illustration I gave you about my wife. No woman can take me away from her. I have to give permission. No one can separate you. Nothing. Except you. Because you have a free will. And you know that. You see? So what do you do? You abide in Christ Jesus. You stay in the stinking boat. I don't care how big the waves get. Stay in the boat. As long as Jesus is in the boat, nothing will happen. May get scary. May get wet. Sir Robert Ball, the great astronomer, said that a man who carries a sack of corn on earth would as easily carry six sacks of corn on a world the size of the moon. But in a world as vast as the sun, even to pull out a watch from the pocket would be to tug at a weight of five or six pounds. It would be impossible to lift an arm. And if one man were to lie down there, he could never get up again. And he compares it. So in the spiritual realm, the weight of our burdens depend upon the attraction of earth. If the world is all to us, alas, how true it is that its burdens will crush us. Let me tell you, sin is fun when you're young and dumb. Because you're running fast and you're not thinking of nobody but yourself. But as you go through life, all that catches up with you. And then it becomes blood and guts. And then it's not fun at all. It's just the way it is. Satan minimizes the consequences and maximizes the benefit. What is he? A liar. A deceiver. We have overcome the God of this world, Satan, by the Son of God. The Prince of this world is coming. Jesus said he has nothing in me in John 15, 30. The Prince of this world is judged in John 16, 11. He knocked all his teeth out at the cross. All Satan can do is gum you. He disarmed principalities and powers, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in Colossians 2, 15, as he descended to the lowest parts and led captivity captive, destroying death and the power of death. We have overcome the evil system of the world through the Son of God, not through our own abilities. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. There's the key, John 16, 33. I have overcome the world. He has given us a spirit of power and a sound mind, not a spirit of fear, 2 Timothy 1, 7. Though sometimes we're fearful. Jesus says all the time, and God the Father in the Old Testament says, stop being afraid. Why? Because they were afraid. We're in the world, but not of the world. And we are kept from the ponderous, the evil one. First John 5.18 says, As we abide in Christ Jesus, we trust him. We have overcome death that reigns in the world by the Son of God. He that believes 
lives and believes in me shall never die. John eleven twenty six. One of these days, your body's going to go back to the ground, the dirt. But the minute you give up your last breath, your body, you're, you're, you're instantly present before the Lord in spirit. And when the Lord comes back on the rapture, your body will be glorified. You'll catch it halfway down, halfway up. Okay? But you're instantly present with the Lord. Wow. But if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, the minute you die, you're immediately separated from God for all eternity. No second opportunity. Anybody who tells you you have a second opportunity after death is a liar and a deceiver. Get away from them. Jesus robbed death and the grave. They have no power. 1 Corinthians 15, 53 through 58. We have attained eternal life through the Son, Jesus Christ. Listen to John three thirty six. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. Those are not my words, ladies and gentlemen. My heart would want to make it broader, but I can't. If you don't have the Son, the wrath of God abides in you. It doesn't have to, though, if you call on the name of the Lord. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. John seventeen three. when Jesus is speaking to the Father before it goes to the cross. These things I have written to you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 1 John 5, 3. Will have believed and continue to believe. Okay? Very important. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, His Son, uh, Christ Jesus. This is the true God and eternal life. Right there, Jesus is called God. One of many, many places. If we are given uh, over to Jesus, then we have great, great promises that are given to us. Listen to the promises that are given to the overcomer in the seven churches of Revelation. Listen to Revelation 2.7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let him, be, let him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. The first church, Ephesus. 2.11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be heard of the second death. That's eternal death. Revelation 2.17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone, on that stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Revelation 2.26. And he who overcomes and keeps my word until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. Revelation 3.5. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Revelation 3, 12 says, He who overcomes, I will, take, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. Revelation 3.21. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me in my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. One more. Revelation 2.17. We are told regarding the eternal state. 
He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Revelation 21, verse 7. That's how it finishes. Wow. The commandments of God are not burdensome, ladies and gentlemen, due to a complete confidence in and on the Son of God. It's like taking a plane. When it takes off in the air, it's exerting a greater power than the law of gravity, the law of aerodynamics. As long as you stay in the plane, you'll be okay. You'll get to your destination. As long as the pilot doesn't believe that the law of gravity is gone, he pulls back on those throttles, it will land on time. But if he believes the law of gravity no longer exists, all he has to do is pull back on those throttles and it will quickly grab that plane and all those people and all that luggage and thrust it right into the earth. There's a greater law being exerted over your life than that which used to preside and rule over your life. The law of sin and death has been not canceled out, but overridden by the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God through the new birth. You're born into warfare. You must fight the good fight. You must walk. You must continue growing, depending, and looking to Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of your faith. And so these are three reasons why the commandments of God are not burdensome, making the believer victorious over the world. The believer has had a new birth. The believer has rested in the message of the finished work of the cross. And the believer has complete confidence in the Son of God. Wow. What else do we need? <laughs> All things have been given to us. Lord, thank you for your loving goodness. We love you. We thank you. Pray for every person here. Your hand be upon them, Lord. Father, those over the internet and the radio throughout the world. We pray that you would just speak to the heart of those who are listening. If you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved. Over the internet, maybe out there in the world somewhere. Maybe you're listening in Russia or in China or in um, France or Mexico and you don't know Jesus Christ. He died for you. He loves you and he wants you to repent of your sins and open your heart, ask him to forgive you. And that he is your Lord and Savior and he will do that. He will give to eternal life, forgiving you of your sins. This is your desire. This is a prayer of repentance. Right where you sit, right now you can ask him to forgive you and he will give to eternal life and make you one of the family of God by grace through faith. This is your prayer to him. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.